Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our Weird Because Normal Isn't Working series. This series looks at how God calls us to be set apart from the world's norms and how maybe as Christians we are called to shake things up. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. We're, we're in the second week of this series called Weird, When Normal Isn't Working Anymore, because normal isn't working anymore. So what we've been talking about is this, about how Jesus calls us to follow him. And what Jesus calls us to do is, is very countercultural. It's not of this world. You know, we're supposed to be living in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. In other words, adopting the morals and the values of society and the world and the culture. We're supposed to be people who adopt the culture of Christ and that we live that out. And, you know, as you study Scripture, as you study God's Word, you'll see time and time again where what we're called to do is to not go with the flow of the crowd. But we're supposed to follow what God wants us to do. From the Old Testament through the New Testament, it's there over and over again. So let's bow our heads and I'm going to pray and then we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your care for us. Lord, I pray that as as I preach this morning that uh, you would work through me, that you would guide Uh, our thoughts and our actions, and that we would not be the same because we've heard your word today. Change us, Lord, in your name. Amen. So here's the first point that I want to make, and it's this. Very simply, we are called to be weird. Now, some of you go, I don't want to be weird, but let's let's unpack that a little bit, okay? We're called to be weird. Look, from, from the beginning of creation, From the beginning of creation, when God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, from the beginning of time, God said, I want something to be different. So let me refresh your memory. Chapter three of Genesis, excuse me, chapter two of Genesis, verse three, it says, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Sanctified, it says. In the New International Version, it says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. In other words, made it different than the other six. Said, this one's going to be different. Either translation makes it very clear that God set the seventh day that we call the Sabbath. He set it apart from all the rest. Now, he made it a day of rest unto him. In other words, that we... Uh, that we do things differently on that day. And he instructs us to do that as followers of Christ, going back to the Old Testament, going to, to the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus chapter 20, we read this command from God for us. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor your foreigner, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day 
and made it holy. We call Sunday the Sabbath in Christianity. It's a day that we're supposed to be different than the rest of the weeks. It's a day that we're supposed to, to rest from our labors and spend it with God. That's why, we, that's why we do church on Sunday. It's a day that we focus on God. Now, look, in, in my lifetime, I've seen it change very differently. When I was a kid, my dad refused to do any, any work at all on Sunday. I mean, if it was a life or death thing, yes, but otherwise he wouldn't. I remember if for some reason the grass didn't get mowed by Saturday, it wasn't going to get mowed until Monday. You know, my, my grandparents were dairy farmers, and, and while they did have to milk the cows twice a day, and even on Sunday, they didn't do anything else. I can remember we would spend many Sunday afternoons at my grandparents. They would make a great feed for everybody that was there, and uh, then you'd just sort of hang out. And You know, my grandfather was, would always fall asleep in the recliner. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, uh, for us kids, you know, it was just a little... You know, just hanging around the house, wasn't it? Thankfully, it was a farm. There were pastures to explore and, and haylofts to climb in. So we, but, but I remember that from a young age. I, I even remember, and some of you do remember that phenomenon called blue laws, uh, where uh, basically all of the uh, things except for basic human needs weren't open. So, uh, you know, you, you couldn't, unless you needed to get some food, and generally it was just at a gas station, not a grocery store. I, I had friends growing up who wouldn't go out to eat on the Sabbath day because they wanted to set it apart for themselves and they didn't want anybody else to have to work on their behalf on the Sabbath. So here's this idea that, that Jesus created this idea that we would set aside like he did one day as different from the rest. He calls us to be different. Now, look, this is not a, this is not a message about the Sabbath day, but, but I think this is challenging for all of us to think about this. If God did this and he calls us to do it, how are we honoring that? The word holy comes from a Greek, in the Greek, comes from a word called hagios. Hagios means to, to set apart, to be different, uh, and so the, the word that's translated holy in both the Hebrew and in the Greek shows up about 550 plus times in Scripture. And we're told, commanded directly from the book of Leviticus all the way to the book of Revelation, specific commands are peppered throughout that tell us to be holy like God is holy, to be Different, like God is different. Different in a good way. Or as I said last week, weird in a God way. Uh, to, to be different. L listen to this from the book, the letter of First Peter. Peter says, As obedient children, <clears throat> do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as God who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter's quoting the Old Testament law from the book of Leviticus. He's saying, God says, be holy like I am holy. So God calls us to be different than everybody else, to be different than the world. He calls us to be like him, not like somebody else. He calls us to be holy, to be hagios, to be pure, not impure, to be different, not going with the flow. God calls us to that. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of, in the, in the letter to Hebrews, he, he said, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now that's interesting. Paul equates being hagios, being holy, as the key to connecting with God. Uh, the, the great Bible scholar William Barclay wrote this. He said, although a person lives in the world, the person who is hagios must always, in one sense, be different from the world and separate from the world. That person's standards are not supposed to conform to the world's standards. Without this readiness, he writes, to belong to God, this being separated to God, no one will see God. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew that the pure in heart will see God, and no one has a right to expect that vision without that qualification, being pure, being holy, being hagios, being different. So, so consider this. If God is hagios, if God is holy, and he calls us to be holy, and God is not sinful, never has been, how can sinful people come into the presence of God? Well, we can't. We can't without the forgiveness of Jesus who offers us forgiveness by his death on the cross. If we believe in him and receive his forgiveness, we are forgiven. But the deal is we're sinners. So even though we've been forgiven, we'll sin again. So we need to confess our sins. That's why I, can, I encourage people to make a regular in their daily disciplines, in their weekly devotions, to practice confessing our sins to God and asking forgiveness. Because our sin separates us from God. God is holy. He's hagios. We can't come before God clean and pure without being forgiven of our sins. So, so our sin separates us from God. God calls us to him. So we need to be holy, hagios, set apart. So we need to confess our sins so that we can stay in relationship with him. To be holy means we conform our ways, our thoughts, our words to God's ways and thoughts and words. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, see, when we conform our thoughts and our ways to God's way, we can expect to be looked at as different. But that's okay. Because God is different. God is holy. He calls us to be holy. Look, people may think you're weird when your standards are based on God's word, but that's what he says us to do. Listen to what the psalmist wrote. He experienced this. He said, passion for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I weep and fast for you, they scoff at me. When I dress in burlap to show sorrow, they make fun of me. I am the favorite topic of the town gossip, and all the drunks sing about me. That type of response to following God can can create pressure on us. I mean, nobody wants to experience that. And it may put pressure on us. We, we may think about abandoning God's word. We may think about capitulating to the ways of the world. So, so let's talk about those pressures. Here's the second point, and it's got two subpoints. The second point is this. We will face pressure to conform to the ways of the world. 
We will. We, we do every day. There's two kinds of pressures. There's an inward pressure that we experience. There's an outward pressure that we experience. Let's talk about the inward pressure first. Inward pressure is this. Our need to please people. Our need to please people. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 25. That might be incorrect in your bulletin, so check that out. 29, 25. All right. This is what it says from the message translation. The fear of human opinion disables Trusting in God protects you from that. So folks, if you fear the opinion, if you fear uh, making other people happy or not happy, it's going to disable you. You're not going to be able to to handle it, but God will protect you from that because that's what you need to focus on. Now look, I I suspect some of you experience this inner pressure at one time or another. I think we all do. The the desire to, to, or the struggle to uh, please other people and to, to make people happy in the way they think about you. Paul writes on numerous occasions that we should not seek to please people. Let me just give you a couple of samples. He says, if I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Think that one through. If you're trying to, to please people, you can't please Jesus. Then he goes on and he says in another letter, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Paul's saying, listen, we've taught you how to please God, not people. We've taught you how to to please God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not how to please your flesh or how to please other people. So you need to practice pleasing God more and more and more. Let me ask you a couple of questions, not to, not to be open and not to be answered publicly, but just to answer them in your mind. Do you struggle with what others think of you? Do you feel like you need to make everybody happy? If you answered yes to either of those questions, that, that's a huge burden to carry. And you don't need to carry that burden. So, I'm going to let Scripture give you a gift. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it's a great verse. I would encourage you to to memorize it. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you're in Christ, you become a new person. The old you... The old ways are gone and replaced with God's ways, and you're supposed to be that new person. Now, now let me, I don't, I don't want to discourage you, because that doesn't mean that just because you're a new person, you won't be tempted to fall back into the old ways of life. You won't be tempted by the same old temptations. You, you won't tend to do what you've been doing for all the prior years. But what Scripture tells you, and this is so important, it's about who you are as a man or a woman in Christ. This is your identity. You're a new person. The old you is gone. You can consciously, repeatedly reject the old temptations, the old habits, the old ways. Because you've become a new person. And you'll have to do this actively, to choose to be the new person, to deal with your sins. Because not only will you be tempted, sometimes you'll sin, and so you'll need to confess your sin. That's why we need to do it regularly, to be hagios, to be holy, to be set apart. 
Your identity is a new person, a follower of Christ. So the new person is here. The old person is gone. You don't have to, to please those people in your life who want you to please them all the time. You need to please God. And let me make this clear. When you're pleasing God, you're going to be the loving, caring, sensitive kind of person that you're supposed to be. Not the people-pleasing person, but the kind of person that's going to communicate. Even though you're not doing things to please people, you're loving them and caring for them the way Jesus does. So in not being a people-pleasing person, you're not disrespecting others because that wouldn't be what Jesus calls you to do. So that's the inward pressure. Let's talk about the outward pressure. The outward pressure is this, criticism for following Jesus. Maybe you've experienced criticism. This is what Jesus says. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. When people criticize you for being a serious follower of Jesus, when they mock you because you ask yourself, what would Jesus do if he were in my shoes? If they treat you differently because... They know that you're a Christian. They know that you go to church. They know that you read your Bible. It's okay. You're in good company. You're in the company of Christ. Jesus said this would happen. At age 26, Ken Elzingo joined the faculty of the University of Virginia. After a tenured colleague warned him that being open and public about his faith in Jesus would hinder his career, he was a little rocked. One day, he was crossing campus, and on one of those public bulletin boards on campus, he saw a picture of his face, and when he got closer, he realized it was an advertisement about one of the local campus ministries that he had agreed to speak at. Now they had plastered his face on this picture, and he was going to be talking about his faith in Jesus. He was a relatively new believer in Jesus, and so he was quite worried. He, he, he had all these kinds of thoughts. Will my fellow professors think less of me? Uh, will this harm my, my chances for advancement or my chances for tenure? And he says, he, he writes, I experienced a dark night of the soul. And that night, in the cover of darkness, he returned to the campus and he secretly took down the poster with his face on it. But the next morning, he went back and he put it up. After hours of soul searching, Ken concluded that his life was not about his career ambitions. It was about being a faithful follower of Jesus. It was not about being private about his faith in Jesus because that wasn't an option. Now, this happened four decades ago, and now Ken has been named the professor of the year multiple times. He's still a speaker who's in high demand, and he'll be the first to say that, that serving only one master, Jesus, has been incredibly liberating. Why? Because pleasing an audience of one makes him less anxious than being sensitive to the criticism of others. As a follower of Jesus Christ, 
you can expect that people won't understand what you do and why you do it. But remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. We don't think about this often, but if you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. If, if people in your neighborhood or your family or your work treat you differently because of Jesus, that's a blessing. It can be difficult and hard, but it also gives the opportunity to love people like Jesus, to care for them like Jesus would care for him. Uh, this blessing uh, is a blessing of being associated, being, being worthy to be counted as an associate of Jesus Christ. So these two things lead to a realization, and, and here's the final point that I want to make. We can't please everyone, but we can please God. We can't please everyone, but we can please God. Look at what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. Paul says, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Now, he was writing that to those Christians in the first century, but we understand that he's writing it to us today. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Now, in pleasing God and not people, we care for people and we respond to people the way God does. He loves people unconditionally. We can't please everyone, but we can please God. What I'm talking about is that you and I need to see our life as a calling to serve God, even when other people will think it's weird. God calls us to give our life in service to our Lord who died on the cross for us. Not just lip service, but life service. He calls us that, but, but we struggle with this. As followers of Jesus, we do, and this is not new. God spoke through the, the prophet Isaiah. He spoke these words. He said, the people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let me read that again. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's describing lip service. It's easy to give lip service. Part of the challenge for all of us is going to be to live our ways in such a way that we're living fully on for God. Pastor Craig Rochelle has written a book called Weird, and in this book he talks about how we all struggle with this idea because in this life sometimes we compartmentalize things and we don't do things full-time. We don't follow Jesus full-time. We follow him part-time. He says this, your multiple roles in life uh, could each be a full-time job, collectively elbowing out time and attention for your faith. So he goes on, he goes, think about this. If you're a full-time parent, uh, and a, if you're a full-time parent, are you a part-time follower of Jesus? 
You, you know, children can take up so much of your time. Every day is a constant struggle to keep up with schoolwork, with baths, with laundry, with cooking, with shopping, with house cleaning, with carpooling. Or what about this? If you're a business person, an entrepreneur, there's that struggle to be a full-time business person and a part-time follower of Jesus. What's it going to be? You may be really good at what you do. You may be a savvy entrepreneur. You may have a talent for making money, and you feel so blessed that you get to do what you do, and you love making a living. But you're compromising your faith. You may feel blessed that you get to be an artist for God. But are you a full-time artist, whether it's in music or a graphic arts or something else, and a part-time follower of Jesus? Do you lean into your art and you love to do it, but you don't make time for God? Or maybe you're a full-time student. Are you making time for Jesus, or is he just a part of your life? Is he just a compartment? How do we live fully for God? Look, this is not a 21st century challenge. This is written about in the book of Revelation in the first century. In the third chapter of Revelation, Jesus speaks to the churches. There's seven of them. For, uh, for six of them, he corrects them. And he has something, at least a little bit of something good to say about each one. However, he offers nothing positive about the seventh one. That's the church of Laodicea. The severity of the, warming make, of the warning that Jesus gives him makes sense when you understand something about Laodicea. 35 years before this letter was written, Laodicea was wiped out by a massive earthquake. Now, you need to know Laodicea was a very rich, phenomenally wealthy city. In fact, after the earthquake, they weren't just able to rebuild what they had they were able to build, rebuild bigger and better and more opulent than they had before. They were so affluent. So here's what Jesus had to say to them. Revelation 3, verse 15, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I'll just stop right there. I know your deeds. Notice that he doesn't say, I've heard your words, or I appreciate what you have to say, he says, I know your deeds. I know your actions. I know your works. I know how you behave. The message is quite clear. Jesus is saying, I know you claim to believe in me with your lips, but I don't see it in the way you live. The followers of Jesus and Laodicea, they weren't cold-hearted haters of God who had Nothing, who wanted nothing to do with following Jesus or his teachings. They, they weren't turned off to the things of God. They just weren't on fire. They, they weren't hot-blooded about their pursuit of Jesus and following his words. They didn't have a burning passion to know him and follow him more and more. They were just kind of there. There's another historical fact about Laodicea that sort of helps you understand what Jesus was saying to him. Uh, they did not have a reliable source of water in Laodicea, so they actually piped in water from two different locations. One of those locations happened to be a hot spring, and the water that came out of there was, was therapeutic and, and hot and just great. But by the time it went through the pipes to get to Laodicea, it wasn't hot anymore. It was tepid. 
It was lukewarm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to take a tepid shower. I want a hot shower. So you, you get the idea. Uh, the other spring was a cold water spring, and the water was refreshing. You know, on a hot day, it was a, gl- a glass of that was what you wanted to have. But again, it had to be piped into the city. And by the time it got to Laodicea, it wasn't cold and refreshing. It was lukewarm. I don't know about you, but on a hot day, I don't want a glass of lukewarm water. So they understood what Jesus was saying when he goes on in verse 16, and he says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, the Greek word for, for spit is, is, uh, is a pretty violent word, and, and it can mean spew and worse, if you get the picture. It's an image that is not flattering about how God feels about lukewarm followers of Jesus. Imagine this. Imagine God looking at most of what passes for Christianity today and saying, I know who I am. I know what I've done for you. I've sent you my son Jesus so that you can truly live and yet you act like you think that simply squeezing me into your schedule every now and then will satisfy me. Is that the way we want God to feel? So we have to ask ourselves, like the church in Laodicea had to ask, am I lukewarm? Am I a lukewarm Christian? Am I, am I lukewarm to following Jesus? Do I, do, I, do I have a little bit of time for him every day or a couple times a week or just on Sunday morning? Or do I really bring him into all of my life? I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to demonstrate to the Lord what your spiritual temperature is. It's not cold. It's not lukewarm. It's burning passionately. You're on fire for God. Lean in to those things that will feed your fire for God. Now, I'm going to tell you and challenge you what some things are, but, but I, as I do so, I want to say something on the front end. It, there's an inherent danger when I say do these things because you could just replace passionate desire for being a follower of Jesus with a to-do list. And that's not what God wants either. I, you know, I, I, I've been lukewarm at times, and, and I, in my lukewarm times, I was still reading the Bible and praying every day But what happened up here wasn't touching here. I was lukewarm. So let me challenge you to lean into these things. I want to challenge you to read Scripture. I want to challenge you to read Scripture every day. There's so many things that give us the opportunity to read Scripture today. You know, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of different physical Bible translations. Uh, you, you know, if you need one, tell us. We'll give you one. But, but you can get a Bible on your phone. You can listen to the Bible on your phone. You, you can have all kinds of translations on your phone, on your computer. We have so many things. Read it. But here's what I want you to do. When you get ready to read, say this prayer. God, speak to me. Give me ears to hear. Just that simple. God, speak to me. And then open your heart and your mind and your ears to listen. But here's the next thing. When you hear it, apply it. 
when you hear it, apply it. If you're just take, if you're just, if you're just reading it and it goes from your eyes and just out and doesn't have any impact on you, you're lukewarm. Apply it. Yes, people may say you're weird for living what Scripture says, but that's okay. Tell people about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. You know, Jesus' plan for the spread of the gospel was that people like you and me would tell people about what we found in Jesus. And that we would live such a way, a hagios way, a holy way, a different way, a weird way to the world that people would see us. Say, you know, there's something different about her, something different about him. I want what they have. Share the gospel with people. Take responsibility for your faith. Look, we offer a a pathway to deeper discipleship through our class structure. I encourage you to sign up for those classes. We've got class 201 going on. 301 and 401 are coming up, and 101 is coming up in a little bit too. So do that. Go public with your faith. That's the final challenge. You may have noticed the the baptismal horse trough is here today. We're going to have a baptism in just a minute. But listen, if you've never been baptized by immersion, you need to follow what Jesus says. You need to be baptized. Not because Clark says it, but because God commands it. You know, I was baptized as an infant. Mom and dad did something beautiful for me. But I didn't, I didn't profess my faith. We're supposed to profess our faith and be baptized. So if you've never been baptized on your profession of faith, not moms and dads, then I challenge you to do that. Snow has not stopped. Let me give you a final blessing. There will be prayer team members up here if you need to pray with somebody before you leave. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.